I may have made a mistake, but that is no reason to patronize me. It is dismaying that your expectations are based on the performance of a lesser primate and also revelatory of a managerial style, which is sadly lacking. Is it any wonder, then, that I've chosen not to learn the intricacies of an antiquated and idiotic system? <laughs> I think not. Hello and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a romantic comedy featuring a love triangle and then tell you why the protagonist made the wrong choice and screwed up probably her own and everyone else's lives in the process. I am Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. And this week we have a special guest, Lindsay B., who is a professional makeup artist and an extremely talented artist at everything else they try to do. One of those irritating people who is just fabulously incredible at everything. Also, incidentally, the most Virgo, Virgo person that I ever know. And if you even casually know anything about astrology, you know that that is a very competitive position. Also, the parent of the most Leo child that I know, who will grow up either to destroy or save the world, likely both. You can check out some of Lindsay's makeup work at their Instagram, Hansel Overho, on Instagram. Lindsay, actually, could you spell that out? Because I'm not sure if my pronunciation is amazing. Yeah, so it's uh, Hansel, H-A-N-S-E-L, and then Overhue, O-V-E-R-H-E-U at Instagram. And I chose that as my handle for the pun, but also because Overhue is a real last name and I went to school with a pair of twins who had that last name and it just works. So there. <laughs> That's amazing. And I keep trying to say ho instead of hue, which would make it sound much better. Yeah, because it's hands all over hue. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you for pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this week we watched a movie that Lindsay suggested, the 1995 masterpiece that I had never heard of before featuring Parker Posey, called Party Girl, which Samantha will now summarize for us. You thought we had gotten off the Gen X train, but hop back on, baby, because it's another Gen X classic this week. And I think it's fitting that we've already had so much astrological talk because I know that we're going to talk about astrology and Party Girl for sure. But here's my summary of Party Girl. Party Girl is a movie about Parker Posey learning the Dewey Decimal System. And for that reason, it is the greatest film of all time, or at least that's how I'm feeling one day after watching it. This movie is set in the party scene of 90s Manhattan at a time when artists, DJs, and layabouts like Parker Posey's Mary could still eke by an existence on the island. Mary is not just a Scorpio. She is perhaps the Scorpio, the Scorpio <laughs> who was the origin of all other Scorpios. At the start of the film, she gets arrested for throwing an unsanctioned party in Chinatown and selling liquor without a liquor license. But she gets bailed out by her librarian godmother, Judy, and then takes a job as a clerk in Judy's library to repay the loan. Around the same time, she also meets a falafel vendor from Lebanon, Mustafa, played by Omar Townsend in Trivia, his only film appearance. Mustafa aspires to become a teacher. Our other guy in this case is Leo, played by Guillermo Diaz, who I did not recognize from Scandal. And Leo is a club DJ whose big break comes when a recovering alcoholic slash club owner named Renee offers him a slot at her bar. 
Also on the periphery of these party people are a gay best friend named Derek and an absolute creep named <laughs> Nigel who can't take no for an answer and that he's played by Liv Schreiber Stewart. doing a British accent of some sort and wearing a Kangle hat, which I had feelings about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The movie doesn't so much have a plot per se as it does kind of have a loose series of sketches of Parker Posey being an incredibly unevolved Scorpio, I think, and everyone (laughs) around her tolerating her and giving her second chances, including Mustafa, who gets back together with her sort of after she blows him off earlier in the film. She kisses Leo in the shower once and immediately thinks the better of it. She does improve at her librarian job and learns the Dewey Decimal System. And I think the movie's best scene, the filing books to some exuberant dance music. But it doesn't matter because she fucks Mustafa in the library, ruins a bunch of first (laughs) editions by leaving the window open, and then gets fired. Then though she evolves as a Scorpio, she helps Mustafa locate teaching materials, she organizes Leo's record collection, and she does some other things I forget that prove that she's learning how to be a higher functioning person, I guess. Uh, Apparently all of her progress is enough to impress Judy and get her job back at her surprise birthday party. So Parker Posey becomes a library clerk again, and that's the victorious ending of this film. (laughs) And thus concludes Party Girl. So Lindsay, why do you pick Party Girl? For a number of reasons. So I was 18 when this movie came out. I don't think I'm the oldest podcast guest so far, but I'm among the oldest. I'm 37. So I'm an upper shelf millennial slash Gen X cusper. And this movie came out, it was like a really formative thing for me. You know, it came out in 1995, which is maybe my favorite year in culture ever for all things, movies, music, and also a a cool trivia fact about Party Girl. So it was the first movie to ever premiere on the internet. So what what does that mean? I don't know exactly, (laughs) but it didn't see like any kind of theatrical anything. It was released on the internet. Yeah. And I didn't see the movie until 97, though, when I was working at a video store. So I was like a teen when this was going on. And I was going to raves. And I was listening to this actual music, you know, like going out and listening to house. And so to me, this movie is almost like a vindication of like house music and rave culture and all these things that were like so derided by mass media. Like the only way that you could see these club kids was on like Jenny Jones. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, like they were having like club kid makeovers. No, for real. And, you know, and like uh, just kind of like provoking them and stuff like that and treating them like animals. But like Party Girl is very much like finger on the pulse, like what was actually happening at that time. So can you explain to us what the deal is with the club owner not wanting the DJ to play anything that a certain producer had worked on or something? Is this some club kids joke? So I did some thinking. It confused me a little bit at first and I did some digging. And so Teddy Rogers doesn't exist. People have kind of assumed that she means Teddy Riley who was like a very famous New Jack Swing producer at that time. And like, I think partly it could be a callback to Teddy Riley and the fact that her club shouldn't play something like New Jack Swing because it just doesn't fit with like what the what the atmosphere of the club is at all. Even though that music was absolutely around at that time, I think what it actually has to do with is they didn't want to make fun of New Jack Swing and they didn't want to make fun of 
Teddy Riley, a real person, a real producer, but they wanted a recognizable name to put to another type of music at the time, which was actually pretty lame, which is something called New Beat. So New Beat music was very Euro. It was like a Belgian style of like down tempo house music. And it was known like some of the bands that were New Beat, uh, like one of the most famous examples was a band called Lords of Acid. And like, right? Show and so, me your pussy, show it to me. Exactly. And I think the <laughs> reason why Renee does not want new beat music played at her club is that it's embarrassing Euro trash. <laughs> For lack of a better description, it's embarrassing Euro trash. And who would want that at their club? And definitely being somebody who went out at that time and who was deeply immersed in electronic music scene, I judge the shit out of people who mostly listen to newbie. Gotta say it. <laughs> well, Renee smashed a bottle and threatened the DJ with it over his playing of Teddy Rogers in the film. Yeah, so- some people think that that's a personal <laughs> vendetta, but I just think she just has way too much class. For that type of trash. And I mean, if you listen to the song, you're like, ugh, I roll. It's like, you know, leave the dance floor, time to go to the bathroom, time to get a drink because they're playing this trash. I have never felt more immediately uncool in in a conversation than I have (laughs) now. I have no idea what what just happened. (laughs) Yeah, I'm okay. So like another reason I picked this movie, I got to be totally honest, is like, and the reason why I'm standing Leo so hard as the other guy is because I'm like a weird, personally, I'm like a weird Mary Leo hybrid. Like, you know, in order to be like a scene person and a scene queen and to like go to all these places and kind of rule the scene is you have to fucking know everything. You have to know all the different types of music. You have to know how to dress. Like it's this kind of, it's this whole holistic set of of like knowledge and things that you have to do and be. And that's why I think it's so perfect that in the end she becomes a librarian, you know? Cause like it's about knowing all your shit, right? Like to be a scene queen, you have to know your shit, but she doesn't know how to apply that shit knowing to being a fucking adult. And that's kind of the arc of this movie is like what happens to the party girl when the party stops? What's a good way mm. to transfer those skills somewhere? Yeah, this the same things that make you really great at ruling the club can make you really great at filing Freud's biography of Dora. <laughs> exactly, which is why I sort of take issue with you saying Mary is a Scorpio. This is our first fight. Samantha, are you ready? <laughs> she Ooh. is a Scorpio. <laughs> she is Parker a Scorpio. Posey is a Scorpio. But see, I think that the character of Mary is a Virgo. I really do. Ah. I, you know, in my understanding of astrology, this is not true for all signs, but it is true for Virgos, that Virgos are made, not born. You become a Virgo over the course of your life. You don't automatically have Virgo traits. You grow into them because Virgos are very like detail oriented and very empathetic and they're very emotional. And like the, the amount of like noticing details that they do can become overwhelming. So I feel like Virgos need to control and categorize things and organize things is like a coping mechanism and watching Mary learn the Dewey Decimal System and become a compulsive organizer of herself and of the people in her lives it strikes me as a very like Virgo like coping mechanism like becoming anal retentive because you actually have executive dysfunction and can't cope the battle lines are drawn Jen Sadie Sadie do you want to go first or am I jumping in here Scorpio or not a Scorpio (laughs) (laughs) I I will say that I thought that she was a Scorpio as well, and it made a lot of sense. But also, Lindsay, your argument makes sense as well. So I say that she's a Sagittarius. 
Oh, snap. Claiming your own sign here, I see. (laughs) As a Sagittarius, no one fucking knows what they are, except that they're a little flighty. And she is. I'm married to one. I know what they are. They're intense. (laughs) Very driven. And Mary does show us those qualities in this film. Maybe she's a a Sagittarius Virgo Scorpio cusp. Okay. She definitely has no Capricorn in her. I can tell you that. Zero. None whatsoever. <laughs> I think Mustafa is a Capricorn. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I'm not going to fight you on that. And okay. This is why I am going to argue that Mary is a Scorpio. I'm sorry, Lindsay. But her being drawn to Capricorn Mustafa instead of, what do you think Leo is? Like a Gemini? A we'll Leo, come back to that in probably. a moment. Oh, <laughs> no, he is not bold enough. He was way too unconfident going into that interview with Renee to be an actual Leo. But I definitely read Mary as a Scorpio, but I would I would definitely accept that she has strong Virgo placements, that she probably is a Virgo rising would be my guess. When I became convinced that Mary was a Scorpio, there were several moments that I, I saw myself in, in her and it made me suspect but the part that has me sold is when she doesn't even realize what she has done to offend Mufasa she completely forgets that she blew him off and stood him up for their date so she's not sure why he's mad at her but instead of apologizing she just continues to show up at his food stand day after day after day wearing a succession of ever more fabulous outfits. And this is also how I apologize. So you just make yourself really (laughs) visible to the other person. And that's apologizing. Uh, Very fabulous and persistent, I would say. (laughs) Yeah, that does ring true for Scorpios. So that was what I thought. And also that her driving motivation, and again, this is very similar. Of course, the three of you actually are three of my closest friends. Love you guys. And I would say as a Scorpio, I I have gone on the record stating many times that Samantha, a Capricorn, is a Scorpio whisperer. She is married to a Scorpio and she has me as a best friend emotionally adopted sister as a Scorpio. And and I love Virgos. I love Lindsay in my life, like getting my shit cleaned up, you know? And then I love Sagittariuses like Sadie and my spouse because they are willing to wild out and do the not as well thought out things with me that I sometimes (laughs) want to do. (laughs) So we have balance here, you know? But the other thing that read as Scorpio to me was that Mary's motivation to learn the Dewey Decimal System and become successful as a librarian was not just through her own desire to do so, but entirely out of spite because she thought that her (laughs) godmother was calling her stupid. So then she got wasted and went and learned the entire Dewey Decimal System and memorized the layout of the entire library in a night. There were so many moments that I (laughs) thought about you and about my wife while watching this movie. 
Uh, it was almost painful how like how much I saw both of you in moments of Mary's character. Like <laughs> she experiences one like minor setback, like she filed a book wrong and Judy is not happy about it. And then there's some montage where she's like, I'm just the worst at everything and I'm never going to do anything <laughs> good in life. And uh, my wife who I love very much, can be similarly kind of demoralized by the most minor setbacks. Some little thing will happen and then I'll be like, I'm just I'm just pawn scum. Like, I'm never going to be anything. And I'm like, of course that's not true. Like, <laughs> come on. But then the Scorpios rise up from that feeling and c- conquer the world. You have to dive into it first. I also really felt that with the scene where she was like baking a loaf of bread or something and completely burned it and fucked it up and then dives onto the couch in a dramatic, I am terrible and my life will become nothing. I thought I would be something by the age of 24. And I mean, Justin, <laughs> my my spouse started laughing about that too because he has witnessed this exact, like to the statement interaction go down before with me. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I need to talk to Justin about it because <laughs> I, I looked at Corey while that happened and was, like seem familiar she was like no (laughs) (laughs) but you're right Lindsay I would though I'm on team Scorpio for Mary I would definitely see a strong Virgo placement in her chart because that bitch can remember some details and I feel like particularly the scene I feel like I'm talking too much sorry I'll shut up and let everybody else have the floor in a second but when she organizes Leo's record collection by the Dewey Decimal System without his knowledge or permission and then expect him immediately to be grateful for it. I felt that the expecting gratitude and the running to be found in a very casual lounging position as he walked in the door was very Scorpio. Oh, no, 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 no. Because let me tell you, I cannot recount to you how many times I have done that to people in my life. I do it all the time. I will never stop doing it. I will never apologize for it. You are welcome friends and family <laughs> for my efforts, okay? <laughs> like, I will not back down. I, and I will do it again and again and again without you ever asking me. And I will absolutely sit there like a dog and beg for praise. I don't care. <laughs> no, I, I identified with that scene so hard. It was like a slap in the face. I was like, oh my God, it's me, you know? And then I also have to say that with the bread baking scene, that scene is actually a callback to when she's at the party with, oh, I forget the name of the flamboyant friend, but she's like, can I, you know, do you think I would make, Derek, Derek, would I make a good designer? Derek, would I make a good investment banker and all of these things? And then it's like, it's kind of like she's telling you, the viewer, that like, she really does at this age believe that she could just turn it on one day and go and do those things. Like she's not asking, would I be a good actress? Would I be a good designer? Because she has nothing to back that up. It's almost like all of her skills are in this kind of like stasis and she's just waiting to activate in one direction or another. And like with trying the baking, like this movie is kind of about Mary's character constantly running up against the limits of her own like delusions in a way. And like it's all very like harsh for her and you're like feeling that with her as the audience you know like when she burns the the thing and when she's like oh I'm bad at everything like you know it's it's 
that kind of getting the tap turned off on that delusion of I really can do anything, which is a very Virgo energy to have. (laughs) Sadie, uh, I wanted to ask you, as our rom-com expert, I wanted to back it up. Was this your first time seeing Party Girl? This was my first time seeing Party Girl. I had never heard of it before Jen mentioned it. And I was, at first I didn't like it because it wasn't really what I, I I guess I expected it, but it wasn't quite what I expected. I, so I went into it. It was very different from like almost anything else I'd ever seen, but like halfway through it, I was really, really, really into it. Even though I told Jen and Samantha that I was so glad that I wasn't the one summarizing the movie because I had no fucking idea what happened (laughs) throughout the movie. (laughs) Except for like what Wikipedia already told you. <laughs> oh, well, a little Sagittarius following a linear timeline. Aw. <laughs> yeah. This movie was low key triggering for uh, loved ones of Scorpios. I feel <laughs> like the scene of Mary in the club and Leo is just sitting on the couch holding her drink. Or was that the gay best friend sitting on the couch? That was Leo. Yeah. Yeah. How many times have loved ones of Scorpios been in that position where Scorpios are like, hang on, I need to go be the center of attention for a while. And then you're just there sitting, (laughs) holding a bag or a drink or idly looking at your phone. <laughs> well, you never complained about it before, Samantha. <laughs> well, I'm, I was saving it all for the podcast. Damn. The long time. Finally ready to vent. <laughs> I mean, in terms of stuff that aged well, do you think that that voguing scene where he's necessitating holding the drink, do you think that was even worth it? Because I don't. I thought that dancing scene was a little bit embarrassing for everyone. Yeah. In as much as Mary wasn't really dancing so much as being being the spectacle while someone who with actual dancing talent danced around her. Exactly. I fucking loved it, but I am a Scorpio with Leo Ascendant, so sorry, y'all. <laughs> I, I told Jen and Samantha this as I was watching it, but I was like, who is the other guy? And when Jen told me that it was Leo, my my exact words were, that twink? <laughs> so I, I wasn't feeling, I had no idea. And then I got to the shower scene, which I would like your thoughts on that, Lindsay, because I was like, oh, this is actually very hot. And I'm into it. And now I get it. Right, right. And what's so funny, I think about that shower scene is that we're treated to the shower scene of Leo and Mary, and it's super hot. And she says incest and cuts it off for whatever reason. But then the immediate next scene that we get is her like totally crappy wooden fucking sex scene with Mustafa. And it's terrible. Yeah. Yes. Bad. Like Like, he was hot. I did not expect that to be so bad. Like, what the hell? They just didn't have very much on-screen chemistry. They really didn't. Okay, I'm going to, like, rip on Leo. Oh, not Leo. I'm going to rip on Mustafa for a second. I'm going to be a little bit petty. I got to be real. I I wrote some, like, funny, like, impressions of Mustafa. Like, while he's attractive, it's just, like, none of selling him as a heartthrob is working for me. So I'm, like, I wrote down, Mustafa is, like, a Taylor Lautner waifu pillow that got put in the wash with the towel. Mustafa is like if Dean Cain got put in Kafka's Metamorphosis Machine and it was set to Timothy Chalamet. Wow. <laughs> it got surreal. Carry on. 
I don't like him, okay? I don't like Mustafa. He seems like a good guy, but like he's just a moody bitch and he's ultimately not that compatible with her. Like the third fight that they get into, because they have what? How many fights in this movie? And they're not even like every really time dating? they interact. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> One of the scenes is him literally being in a bad mood and being shitty to her because he finds himself at a party and he can't deal. How is this a good match for her? Yeah. Like I know she's getting her shit together and she's gonna go get her MLS in library science and shit but like can she please be with someone who's got a little bit of spunk in him if you're a capricorn and you want to be with a scorpio you gotta you gotta buckle up you've got to brave some situations a lot more overstimulating than than one party <laughs> right that's yeah he's a wet blanket that's my whole thing with mustafa and you know even though like she's the type of person so i'm, I'm getting on your scorpio train i am she's the type of person who always seems to be teaching her friends like the scene where she's kind of coaching leo through how to talk to renee she's so effortless in that role of like the teacher friend, right? So here she is hooking up with Mustafa and her first interaction with him, he's teaching her stuff. He's teaching her Arabic. He's asking her about Arabic music, you know? And it's like, I'm sorry, but that shit's going to get old for her. She likes to be in that role, right? You don't always want your partner to like be exactly like you. You know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. I think it's telling how quickly she goes from like, oh, I am exoticizing you and I'm interested in like Lebanese culture to, oh, let me just appropriate this immediately, make it about me and throw a party that's Middle Eastern themed where I'm running it. <laughs> like, Yeah, and then she tells him that him being there selling falafel is funny. <laughs> oh, oh, this is why she was not a sympathetic character for me. And I want to ask my other non-Virgo Scorpio co-host if, if you found Mary sympathetic, Sadie, or if like me, you were sitting there kind of being like, oh, I kind of feel bad for all these people who are putting up with you right now. Yeah, <laughs> like I get that Mustafa is in general, probably one of the most boring people alive. Um, but <laughs> I felt bad for him quite often throughout the, the movie. Like, I, I think that he and like you guys already touched on that like he she's very much just exoticizing him doesn't really see him as a person so much as kind of like something to conquer or maybe something just to be different to prove to herself that she's different that she can do different things or maybe he is kind of this symbol for this life that she wants but she doesn't know how to have or the person that she's trying to be but she can't be and so she keeps going back to the falafel stand every day just to kind of convince him suddenly that she's a good person without putting like work into it or actually saying that she's sorry and also unfortunately the leo scene where she has rearranged all of his um what are those vinyls i felt so bad for him wow (laughs) our 23 year old chimes in seriously (laughs) I, i was trying i was like no they're not cassettes they're vinyls Listen, my stupid fucking generation is the one that's brought them back and I'm not with it. (laughs) But regardless, yeah, I wasn't feeling her as strongly as Jen and Lindsay probably were. (laughs) Well, really, though, this movie, I really think that this movie is not making 
Mary necessarily a sympathetic character just because she's the protagonist. Like this movie is just really about that time in a person's life where they get their shit together. And that is never pretty. Never, ever, ever. And that's what I really appreciate about this movie is I feel like I've gone through that so many times because I'm a mess. And it's just really kind of nice to see it like really fleshed out the process of learning to be a better person. I, I, I at once recognized that, but also could not help putting my, but put myself in the shoes of the other people who worked at the library, who all had master's degrees in library science, who had Gosh, to yeah. like lovingly coach and like counsel this just like charming party girl who like wrecked all the first editions. Oh, there's so many great side characters. Like Wanda is amazing. Yes. Oh. oh my God. Wanda and Howard, that was them. And okay though, they did love it when the morning following the night when she had stayed up all night and learned the Dewey Decimal System and memorized where everything in the entire library was placed, she went the fuck off on that asshole little pedantic white guy patron who was always trying to talk about Freud. She saw him put a book where it should not be and just <laughs> lost her shit. You've just given us a great idea. I mean, why are we wasting our time with the Dewey Decimal System when your system is so much easier, much easier. We'll just put the books anywhere. And you could tell Howard when he told her to like, go take a break for a bit. He was also like, fuck yeah. Thank you for saying that because none <laughs> of us really? could. <laughs> Did you get that? I, <laughs> I was like, oh God, poor Howard. How, haven't we all been there? <laughs> you have to, your coworker is just being extremely annoying and you have to be really nice and be like, why don't you just take the L, take a break, go to the back. And on the inside, you're just like, oh, I can't believe I have to deal with this person. <laughs> but that guy, that library patron had already been set up as being such a like gnarly little shithead in there that I really feel was like even getting under Judy's skin, even though she was very professional about it at the beginning. So I, I enjoyed that quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Also, Lindsay would do that. I totally would. It is a very Virgo thing to like to like to proclaim that level of allegiance to a system that you literally learned five minutes ago. <laughs> Just like, and, and she repeats that exact same action when she educates quotes scare quotes Leo on the the myth of Sisyphus, which she also yeah. discovered five minutes ago. It's famous, Leo. I actually did tell my partner while we were watching that I was like, "Oh my god, that's so Lindsay." <laughs> Learned it, and I mean this in a complimentary way, not a condemning way. But suddenly learned about something ten minutes ago, and then read everything there was to know about it, and then speaks to somebody who doesn't know about it, and is like, "Oh, let me learn you now." (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I I really did enjoy me, her character made me, you know, cringe in moments, but she had some killer lines in this movie. I I was really digging like the whole kind of writing and vibe of the movie by the end of it. It took me a little bit to find my footing, but after enough clever little lines about the Dewey Decimal System and graduate school, I was like, okay, I, I can get into this. Never have I seen a movie where the Dewey Decimal System system 
played so prominently in like the, <laughs> the plot and character growth. Yeah. And that's something that I really, really like about this movie. I do think it's special. And, you know, like, I, again, first viewing, you can really easily dismiss this as like a dumb movie. But I think it's a really smart, dumb movie about a really smart, dumb girl, you know, and that's what's fun. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I Like there were so many lines in this movie, most of them uttered by Mary that I I was like, I remember thinking, like, I've never heard this said before. And it's so fucking funny. Like, I actually, after this quote was said, I paused it, went to IMDb, found it in the list of quotes, and screenshotted it. And it's when the twins Mm -hmm. ask her, what's up, Buttercup? And then she says, the rent, and I'm not paying. (laughs) 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 It really hit me. It really hit. (laughs) It was... It was a really, really, really fucking funny movie. That Parker Posey delivery too. Oh yeah, Samantha. Samantha, shall we give you the floor for a moment to just talk about Parker Posey? Parker Posey is God's gift to acting. There's, there's something. There's a moment. Gosh, I wish I could remember the specific scene in it, but I'm guessing Jen might be able to immediately recall it. Where Parker Posey does a perfect Scorpio dead-eyed stare, like Corey immediately <laughs> recognized it. Like she goes from like smiling or kind of having a neutral expression to looking like she wants to fucking kill you with just like the slightest movement of her mouth and her eyes, and <laughs> it was she's just got that kind of like it's a zany manic energy but it's so carefully controlled and so finely tuned that you can tell she's just a phenomenal actor and there's something about her voice some like quality to the way she speaks where it's like it's sort of a lisp but like not really that like I just want to listen to her narrate audiobooks Mm -hmm. for like the rest of my life and I think that that's one of the reasons why I also wasn't on the Mustafa train is because I no offense to Omar Townsend, but she really acted circles around him. And I feel like Leo's actor could at least hold his own against Parker Posey in scenes. So it was like believable. But when Parker Posey was up against Mustafa, it was just like she was talking to a sack of potatoes. Yeah, Yeah, probably telling that Guillermo Diaz has gone on to have a prolific career and Omer Townsend apparently retired from acting after Party Girl. Mm. He was was very beautiful, but that sex scene was fucking wretched. And I was expecting a lot more after all of her investment of outfits on Mustafa. So I really liked the scene where Mustafa and Leo go head to head. You know, where like Mustafa shows up for the date and she's not there. So we get to see Leo looking all hot with his amazing hair. Okay, amazing hair. And the wife beater spinning fucking Peter Piper by Run DMC like a boss, right? Like he's got (laughs) he's got style. He's got a gorgeous head of hair. Again, upper torso, as as Renee asks about his upper torso, his upper (laughs) torso making it happen. And then fucking Mustafa walks in with that big Ed from Twin Peaks hairstyle. And he's looking like every dad in a 90s sitcom. He was wearing a flannel. Yes, he was. He looked like Big Ed. He looked exactly like Big Ed from Twin Peaks. And it was not sexy. (laughs) 
And also, too, I think that you guys will appreciate that for the purpose of this podcast, even the record that he gives to Leo, Omar, Al, and Gurley, that's not a real person, just like Teddy Rogers isn't a real person. So I went ahead and I did a deep dive on Arabic music until I found a bunch of artists that I thought could have been stand-ins for Omar Al Ingerly, in case you guys would ask. Hell yeah. <laughs> the person that I think that it is that they're trying to spoof on that cover is a singer called uh, Farid Al-Atrash, who is a Syrian, uh, like, more classical singer. But the actual music that they use in the film, all of the Arabic music is by an artist named Khaled. And it's definitely not the lame shit that you would imagine a lame a lame guy like Mustafa listening to. Khaled, Khaled is a certified <laughs> bops, so... <laughs> They're really kind of the for the purpose of the soundtrack of this movie. They're really muddying the waters on on Mustafa's lame choice of album, as judged by Leo. So why didn't it? Why doesn't it work with Leo? I had to rewatch the scene because the subtitles on Amazon Prime said that they kissed, and then she said insect. And I was like, wait, insect? What does that have to do with them kissing? But then apparently she says incest, like, oh, we're too close. It's too much like brother and sister or something like that. Yes, that was what, uh, okay, I got an argument about this with my partner who was watching at the same time and we were watching without subtitles. I apologize if you can hear my dog wilding the fuck out about a UPS truck in the background. (laughs) But (laughs) I was like, incest as soon as she said it and he was like no no, i think she said insect and i was like why would she call leo an insect i know she said incest even though that kissing scene was enormously hotter than anything she did with mustafa Okay, I will now mute myself and dogs and you guys discuss. Yeah, it's it's like they tried to write as though the chemistry wasn't there, but then Parker Posey and Guillermo Diaz were both so good at that scene that it just like happened anyway. And then it left us all, or at least left me and definitely Sadie, I think, frustrated that that shower scene didn't go anywhere because I was ready. I was oh, on yeah. board. Oh, totally. I I wanted to know what they were trying to do with that shower scene. They were like, here's what chemistry looks like. Yeah, look at it. Bubble, sizzle. And then, well, we're done with that. (laughs) We're moving back to Mustafa for the whole rest of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, I really think what they were doing, and I kind of appreciate this, is like, it seemed like they're just overall setting the scene that this is a messy person in their early 20s and that messy people in their early 20s do all kinds of like really stupid shit that doesn't make sense. Like, sure, why the hell not? Try it with all of your friends. Ask, you know, like, ask the question, can I be an investment banker? You know what I mean? Like, it's really that period of your life of just like throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. And that is what that scene kind of conjured for me. Yeah. Yeah. In general, when I watch rom-coms, I like to feel as though everything is going to kind of remain the same as when it ended. Like, I I like the concept of someone being with who they end up with at the end of the movie for the rest of their lives, because that's just how I am. I like ends to be tied up very neatly in little bows but in the case with this movie I firmly believe with all of my heart that at some point down the road whether it's a year from the end of the movie or five years or ten years she ends up with Leo 
I don't know what happens in between, but she has to end up with Leo. Yes. And this is the point that I like kind of like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not really doing great with the structure of this podcast, but like the point that I ultimately would want to make. Structure? We gave up on having structure in like episode two. Yeah, but like I'm totally in agreement with you, Sadie. My ultimate feeling is that Mustafa, like this party girl is a moment in time in Mary's life. You know, but like her and Mustafa, they stick together through grad school, through getting him citizenship or teacher certification or whatever. And then she does, she reassesses her life and is like, oh, this isn't working. This dude's no fun. And then she like runs into Leo. Like at this point, I imagine him as like, like, oh, he's a graphic designer at a skateboard company. You know what I mean? Like he's just moved on from being a fucking DJ, right? And then they meet at a at a party, somebody's wedding, something like that, somebody's baby shower, and they hit it off and they ultimately end up together. Yes. So I'll see all of y'all in the soon to be started party girl tag on AO3 writing some <laughs> fanfic about how all this works out. <laughs> oh, I'm- Hold as I as I see if there's already a tag. <laughs> oh my god, please do. But like you say that, but like I honestly in my generational cohort know people who have kind of more or less based their life trajectory on Party Girl. I know a person who went out and got their MLS because they identified so strongly with this movie. Oh, God. (laughs) You know this person, Jennifer. Oh, my God. Are you serious? That's why? My old best friend. Yep. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. That's mind-blowing. Was she or was she not Mary? She was Mary. She had the mortgage. Yeah. She had the closet. Yes. She, yeah. She got in all the doors all in Manhattan. It. Yeah. Wow. And she became a librarian. I think, I think I want to model the rest of my life after Parker Posey and Best in Show. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone should probably just pick one Parker Posey role and just become that person. Oh, shit. Um, (laughs) Jen, I assign you Parker Posey and Josie and the Pussycats. Okay. I will get straight to work because I – thank you, Samantha. (laughs) Because, you know, even before I accomplish anything, I could always put a gigantic picture of myself on my wall and make my iconic hand gestures in front of it. I feel (laughs) – Like I have got that down. So now I just need to get the career to back it up. (laughs) I could watch her in almost anything. And we were talking a little bit before the podcast about some of us having trouble wrangling our partners into sitting down to watch this movie. But I have such faith in a Parker Posey performance that I can just be like, sit down, give it five minutes. And if you don't enjoy watching Parker Posey after five minutes, I'll watch it by myself. And lo and behold, she just has that kind of like kinetic charisma. It's hard for me to picture any other Gen X actress in this part. Like it, it feels custom made for her. It really does. And you should note that some of the wardrobe in this movie is her own clothes. Oh, I see. Dan, I love my that. God, this yeah. is the first time in my life I have ever said that entirely unironically, <laughs> and I stand by it. Oh, so <laughs> Lindsay, pause. By the way, there is no AO3 tag yet, but also I just saw that there's a Party Girl TV spinoff. Ha- are you familiar? What? Have you watched it? No, no. It was on Fox. It did not have Parker Posey in it, however. Mm. When was it? I don't think it had any of the original characters. Oh, I, I think it's just like the same plot and the same people, but played by different actors and it's on a TV show. 
and just stretched out. Yeah, just stretched out. It was made in 1996. It had one season, six episodes. Oh, no way. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Dude, that's kind of like when they tried to do that 10 Things I Hate About You TV show and recast all the actors, except for the dad, which made it even creepier because- he was the same, but everyone else was different. You know, so, sorry, this is going to seem really random, but I can't help but think about a Reality Bites Party Girl crossover. I just want fucking Ethan Hawke from Reality Bites to like wander into this movie and for Parker Posey to just like destroy him with a single Jeez. withering comment. Would incinerate him. Yeah. I was, yes. And- Obviously, absolutely no offense to our our guest hosts last week, Nico and Christian, who are amazing and delightful, and I love them so much. And Reality Bites was a great choice for the stated purpose of this podcast, for the you should see the other guy, because obviously, obviously, Winona Ryder should have picked Ben Stiller and not disgusting Ethan Hawke in that movie. But I'm so glad that I watched them in this order because I had not seen Reality Bites or Party Girl before these past two weeks. And I was upset enough by watching Reality Bites as is, but I would have been really upset if I had watched it after Party Girl. Yeah, yeah. Because like I listened to y'all's Reality Bites episode and I really ended up totally agreeing with you guys that, you know, that everybody's quote unquote growth, if there even is any, is like totally unearned, you know, and it just doesn't work. But I really feel like Party Girl is the antithesis of y'all's issues with Reality Bites, you know, because like she does grow. She's still kind of a shitty person and hard to be around. But like, ultimately, all of the actual areas of her life where she's having problems, she she resolves each thing one by one. And that's more than anyone can say in Reality Bites, which to me, I couldn't even follow the plot of Reality Bites. That one was a real jumble for me. It's funny that everybody that Sadie's like, I don't know what's happening. Because, you know, I felt that way about Reality Bites. I was like, God, what even is this? I feel like like, okay, at the point, and, and I, I hadn't even thought about what Winona Ryder's sign in Reality Bites is yet. We can get to that in a moment. But Mary on the couch after she burns the bread and having her, oh, I'm I'm terrible. I'm awful at everything. I'm nothing moment. If somehow she was just flashed into a universe faced with Winona Ryder in Reality Bites lying on the couch, calling the psychic hotline apparently enough times that week while smoking cigarettes to run up a $900 bill, Mary would have immediately sat up and just said, you're pathetic to Winona Ryder and flounced. Like, <laughs> that's it. Like, Yeah, Winona Ryder's character doesn't have like any of the stamina that it would take to run Mary's life. You know what I mean? Like Mary is a screw up, but she put together those, I mean, those raves that she puts on are not easy to throw, you know? And that's why I think it's really interesting the scene where she takes all of the who knows what hallucinogenic substance at the, at the Peter Paul and Mary party that she throws. Oh um, yeah. Where she demands to the dealer, like, I want something that will give my unborn child gills and then <laughs> wanders back off. <laughs> yeah. And so like, I love that, Oh, no, it's fine. I just I love that all of her epiphanies happen when she's like blotto on some substance or other. But it's just really telling that like when she's hallucinating, she sees the belly dancer that was supposed to be at the party 
during her, her <laughs> epiphany that she wants to become a librarian. So she sees books tumbling down the stairs. She sees this belly dancer that never materialized at her party. And it's almost like it's visualizing that Mary as a person is realizing that she has no control over this party world. But if she moves her life over into the library, she does have control. She can make certain things happen. Like she can't make the belly dancer appear in her party life, but she can make whatever happen if she becomes, you know, a professional in, in her chosen field. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like you get to visually see that the chaos of the party atmosphere is no longer serving her. I feel like it's deeply relatable to anyone Gen X or younger, this idea of like, oh, I'm going to kind of like grow up, learn how to take better care of myself, like build a career, find some stability. What was funny to me, though, was I looked up like what Roger Ebert had to say about this film. And apparently this was like typical of the reaction of older film critics, aka Boomer. We're going to get into some generational (laughs) warfare again here. Boomers were like, I remember when movies were about librarians learning to have fun instead of fun people learning <laughs> to be librarians. Uh, oh, how the turntables. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sorry we didn't emerge into a world where we had like 85% of the country's housing wealth. Mm-hmm. Like, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, but I really like that brings me to it reminds me of the character of Judy, because honestly, I think that a lot of the richness of the narrative of Party Girl is brought by having Judy there as like a direct foil to Mary, you know, Judy's telling her, like, your mother was a woman with no common sense, you know, Judy's like really challenging her. And like, also like the scene where one of my kind of favorite scenes of the movie is where Mary sees Judy when she's having the hot flash, and she's talking to her about her life. And Judy proves to her in that moment that she can understand she's like oh you went out and you saw your boyfriend show and you stayed up all night and it was so magical like she does know that life just because she's I mean just because she's so far away from it doesn't mean she doesn't understand it you know and like I think in a way having Judy there to like show Mary how much more life there is after this like early mid-20s chaos ends. That's kind of something that really snaps her into place. You know what I mean? Do Scorpios know that they can die though? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we do. And we look forward to it. (laughs) Going out in a blaze of glory and violence, likely. Before we go off onto this tangent about Scorpios thinking that they're immortal, I just have to say that that makes so much sense to me, Lindsay, what you said about Judy. And also something that I just realized that I liked so much more about Party Girl than Reality Bites, not to overly compare the two, but they are similar energy, is that the older people in this movie are also treated as people. And they're also treated as people who can understand the younger generation. And there's like this really cool, complex commentary relationships going on in Party Girl, whereas in Reality Bites, all of the people older than 25 are just considered yuppie fucking sellouts who don't understand anything. And like, I get that that was born out of frustration, but I think Party Girl just presents a much more nuanced world, which I loved. With real people. Yeah. Let's create a video game for an audience of five people that's just the characters in Party Girl it's a fighting game and the party girl characters <laughs> are one one set of characters and the reality bites characters are another like set and you Tekken. can just duel them 
<laughs> I would love to do that. I really do kind of see these movies as two sides of the same coin. We have like toxic, unexamined Gen X, and then we have like growth-oriented, right-minded Gen X type of themes happening, you know? <laughs> Ethan Hawke's special power can be just like uh, drowning the other player in hair grease. Oh my God. (laughs) Parker Posey's can be stunning you with an amazing, devastating outfit. Yeah, the outfits are definitely a huge part of her character. The outfits. Oh, oh my God. And, you know, of course, when I was Sadie's age long ago, <laughs> not as long ago as Party Girl, I thought I was doing something real new with the bright clashing tights with bright clashing everything outfit. Uh-huh. Well, Parker Posey was there first. <laughs> Yep. Well, what was y'all? What was y'all's favorite outfits, though? I feel like that's important to know. Oh, the blocky one with the tights. I'm trying to. It's it's a lot of like neon colors in black, and it's all in like color block. And she's wearing tights and like boots or something. I'm trying to picture it in my head. (laughs) This is the most Capricorn description of an outfit. (laughs) A Scorpio description would be like. A paragraph compared to what I just <laughs> said. Oh, for, well, I mean, I loved everything she wore, including her librarian drag at the end when she tragically sold all of her incredible outfits. But the outfit that really stood out in my mind for was near the very beginning of the movie when she is going to see her godmother who <gasps> just bailed her coat? out of jail the night before. Mm-hmm. The leopard print coat. That's going to be my the- favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Those red textured tights going into the boots. Oh, oh. and can we also give out a shout to her heeled Adidas? Yes. Yes. That of was course. incredible. I when I texted you guys that I wasn't sure how I felt about this movie that was within the first five minutes and then as soon as I hit send to that then she showed up on screen walking down the street toward her toward her godmother's library wearing that leopard print fit and I was and I said oh no never mind I'm in I'm in it now I'm here I'm strapped in that's hilarious Never mind. I'm by. I'm in it now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I looked up the outfit because I can't describe it, but it's the one where she's wearing four shirts at once, and one of them is pink, and one of them is green, and one of them is yellow, and one of them is blue. Yes. I am also partial to this outfit because I was alive at that time. I was a teen at that time, and I wanted that outfit, and I could not get my parents to buy me four tissue tees in the same color. And I was very thwarted <laughs> that I could not do that layered top look that she does. I think it's really funny because I've done wardrobe on movies before. And so I always pay attention to stuff like that. It's just really funny that one of her most like dressed down outfits is come to Garçon, like completely <laughs> unattainable. And like everything else in this movie is also very unattainable. That leopard coat was Todd Oldham. Most of the really fabulous pieces that you see in this movie, I want to say like House of Style must have like co-produced this movie or something because everything she wears is Todd Oldham for the most part. That is wild that this was just released on the internet too Mm -hmm. with like, what the hell? Also, you you guys reminded me talking about that extreme layered tee 
thin tea moment. That other, the black one she was wearing with the white outside seams all down the arms and around while she was working in the library. Yes, I I love that look. That was my favorite makeup look too of this movie. I would say like as a makeup artist, I really pay attention to to that cue in movies. And like the makeup in this movie was extremely, extremely 90s. The fact that like she has like a sleek kind of going out look when she's shoplifting from that person's closet and she's wearing this very like sleek evening (laughs) outfit and she's not doing a red lip. Like in 2020, that offends my sensibilities because like you don't do that. If you're going to like wear an outfit like that, you do a fancy lip, right? You do the understated eye and the fancy lip. Not so in the 90s. In the 90s, the nude lip dominated and you just see it throughout Party Girl. Like, and it, it really does date the thing. Although so many of these looks hold up today. I feel like if you have an eye for fashion, the movie has like layers and layers on it that someone like me who owns five pairs of the same leggings (laughs) just (laughs) cannot experience. (laughs) So I'm glad it exists. And I'm also glad it functions as a good movie if your engagement with the aesthetic of it can just be like, ooh, pretty colors, because there are some movies, I'm going to use this opportunity to drag my sister, who very much recommended this Nicole Kidman movie called The Interpreter, like (laughs) Nicole Kidman and Sean Penn, and I watched it, and I was like, that wasn't good, like, why did you recommend it to me? And she was like, Nicole Kidman's outfits in that movie are amazing. And I, she's right, like Sarah Edwards did the costuming for that movie, who also did like Ocean's 8 and like all of these other amazing like styling female stars movies. But it was impressive to me that my sister could just engage with an entire movie just using the language of the characters' outfits, like completely ignoring all other aspects of the movie, which were decidedly mediocre. Right. Yeah. And like, I don't, I think that there's a lot more to Party Girl, I think, than the outfits. But for me, it is particularly fun because I know so much about the fashion of that era that like I can just read the movie from start to finish. Like, it's not lost on me that in the love scene with Mustafa, she's wearing like head to toe Betsy Johnson. Cause like in the mid nineties, like <laughs> Betsy Johnson was like flirty. This is what you wear on a date. Right. And so it's just really funny that they put that in the movie. Cause like I picked up on it right away. The like ruffled Betsy Johnson top and a heart necklace. Oh my God. That's what you wear on a date in 1995. You know, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, I was told in advance that you have a bingo card for our podcast. And I wanted to try to preemptively guess and cover everything on it and encourage my co-host to join me. So I feel like we've we've covered a mortality moment by asking Uh whether Scorpios knew they could die. We need to speculate about the age of the characters. I guess that maybe she's 22. She declared her age. She's 23. She thought she would really make something of herself before she's 24. (laughs) What what else do we think is on... On their bingo um, card. How do we freaking <laughs> time really travel? Really so predictable. How do we right, time travel? Uh, time travel is because Stuart appeared in this movie as a <laughs> creepy would-be rapist in a Kangol hat that oh, Samantha cool. wanted to talk about her feelings about the Kangol hat at some point, which this seems like a good time now. Uh, uh, yeah. This was not a piece of mid-90s fashion that aged very well. Unless you are Samuel L. Jackson, I, I just don't think... They might as well just make hats exclusively for Sam Jackson because... <laughs> 
a Kangol hat looks good on literally no one else. Hard agree. Guys, in 2001, I'm about to make a very embarrassing confession. I had the biggest crush on a guy named Tristan who wore a Kangol hat. No. <laughs> Why did I think you were going to say you had a crush on a guy named Kangle Hat? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be more embarrassing. This makes a lot more sense. But <laughs> I thought you were going to say you had a crush on Samuel Jackson. I was like, who didn't? Oh, right. Yeah. It wouldn't be embarrassing. I still have a crush on Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah. But a guy whose name was Tristan, who wore a Kangol hat and painted embarrassing acrylic paintings of like <sighs> melting clocks that were like ripoffs of like Dolly. Like that was bad. Anyway, I did look him up once on Facebook in like 2007 and he had already aged poorly. So I Damn. felt good about moving on. Sorry, Tristan, if you listen to this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and admit that I have owned a Kangol hat. I'm going to put that out there. Ah! All right. All right. Do you wear it with, what sunglasses did you wear it with? So, oh yeah, because that's the thing is like, I I love accessories. I love hats. I love glasses. And I love that the Kangol hat in this movie is kind of a nod to earlier when, when Parker Posey says, oh, Leo, just tell him that you DJed in London. And he's like, well, why did I leave? And he's like, uh, tell him you got tired of the London street fashion, all those hats. And then the like (laughs) London character is obviously wearing a terrible, embarrassing hat. But no, so I wore my Kangol hat with like, you know, Adidas zip up track jacket and like aviator sunglasses it was 2003 it was 2003 yeah, yeah I, I, ugh. <laughs> I feel like non-cis male people in kangol hats though is less embarrassing than white cis men in kangol hats right and the hat was the color of my hair it was a dark brown kangol hat and so it kind of <laughs> blended into my hair so it was less jarring and out of place <laughs> and i wore it front ways and not back ways so I suppose, I don't know. Okay, that was subversive. I was trying to picture you in this and wearing it backways, which is no. the only way I have ever seen a Kangol hat worn ever in my entire life. Yeah. So, I, yeah. On Samuel Jackson's head. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and you're, and you're <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you're just picturing Sam Jackson the whole time. Oh, no. My crush definitely wore the Kangol hat backwards. It was embarrassing. I just admitted. <laughs> You can't really tell it's a Kangol front ways, right? It, you just look like a taxi driver. Exactly. It's a hat. It's a normal hat. But I, I get, yeah, the backwards Kangol. Maybe maybe we do need to make that distinction that it's the backwards Kangol that's the problem. It's like having your tarot card pull it upside down. It's got a totally different meaning. <laughs> I do prefer it to the shirts with the crocodiles on them, though, in terms of pieces of clothing with small animal logos prominently worn on the front side of your body, which is how, as a Capricorn, I am categorizing fashion. Wow. I also had a Lacosi shirt too, man. I'm just like hitting all of Samantha's fashion deal breakers. I'm just knocking them down. You all like the same movies, but your fashion, your fashion is different. World Samantha apart. is an athleisure devotee though. Just for the convenience of it. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I may have like a language in this stuff, but my actual, what I actually wear is totally different from being knowledgeable and fangirly and you know, silly about fashion. It's, you know, I enjoy it, but do I really want to stuff myself into cool looking clothes? Absolutely not. 
<laughs> like I want to wear tights and sweatshirts and that's it. Sadie, I feel like for Lindsay's bingo card, you and I need to get in a fight. Yeah. <laughs> what should we fight about? Um, pick, pick wait, let, let Lindsay give you the topic to fight about. They are the one who made the bingo card. And I also feel like Lindsay is much closer to Samantha in pop cultural preferences than Sadie. I see. So, Lindsay. Oh, man. Go forth. Oh, man. We can fight about almost anything, I'm sure. Cute. Y'all didn't talk about Nomeo and Juliet. You were aligned against me that it was the superior movie to Boz Lerman, which I am not having. (laughs) Those were the halcyon (laughs) days of Sadie and I's relationship. (laughs) The peak. (laughs) The honeymoon period. So I'm going to go ahead and just spill the tea on the bingo card, and then you guys can go from there, because it'll... it'll It'll illuminate some things for you. So How many have we hit already? Um, not many, actually. This has been oh, a really damn. uncharacteristic podcast. So, And let's give some context <laughs> for our listeners, which is Lindsay prepared a bingo. Lindsay, in addition to being a guest, has also listened to, I think, every episode and has prepared a bingo card of things we usually do on episodes to see if we would hit them <laughs> while they were on the show. It's my it's my hostess gift. I'm an unfailingly Southern person, and this is my hostess gift to you guys for being so sweet as to <laughs> let me come on here and talk trash about Party Girl. Uh, so obviously, Leap Year is going to be on there. Oh, whoa! Not only I was year. about to bust on Sadie for Leap Year earlier at some moment. Damn. I rein myself in. So Leap Year's on there. And also the, the Leap Year Beast monologue gets its own bingo slot. Because <laughs> of course it does. Right? Okay. The Bachelor and Trad Wife. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there were no Trad Wives in Party Girl, though. Not one. That was so... That was so- we didn't have much to launch off into Trad Wives in this particular film. However... Before we go back to the bingo card, what do you guys think the odds are that Winona Ryder's character in Reality Brights became a trad wife within three years? 1,000%. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Total trad wife. Gen X trad wife material. <laughs> Okay. Um, oh, oh, another thing that didn't happen is joke choice other guy where somebody was like, I'm going to stand for whoever. Um, so oh. that didn't happen. So say if you have one of those to fight with Samantha about a joke choice other guy. I'll just get mad at Sadie for not bringing up leap year and failing our <laughs> bingo card. I was counting on you, Sadie. I will get, also get mad at you for not bringing up The Bachelor, which you managed to do every other episode. <laughs> See, the thing about having a joke other guy is like, I guess the only other guy is Nigel, and he's literally a a sexual assaulter. So yeah, Yeah. I was gonna bring up I was gonna be like, okay, it's cool. She's with Nigel until he literally fucking rams down the door of her apartment to try to violently sexually assault her at the end. And then I was like, oh, Kangol hat out. (laughs) But If he had just dropped her off peacefully at home and not suddenly gone rapist, you know, yeah, he could have been in there. He could have been a contender. Even the way he swooped in on her in the club when he saw that she was like kind of far gone, I was like, oh, this is... Yeah. But up to that point, I would have been, been okay making him as my, my goofy other choice. But 
very quickly disqualified himself. Yeah, so he's not the joke choice other guy, but he is a separate category for this podcast, which is the zero chance other guy, which is the one that oh. it's almost not even worth talking about. Mm. That he yeah, he, the other guy. he dinged that right mm-hmm. off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna guess that a queer reading might also be on your bingo card and say that I could see Wanda and Mary. Having a very happy librarian life together. Yes. I'm feeling that. Yeah. So yeah, queer headcanon, that's in there. And then there's (laughs) overall queer representation, which we did not discuss. Yeah, because we barely talked about Derek yet. Derek and his his love for what he kept calling him Carl, but then he turned out to be Kurt. And that was actually the moment that my spouse stand so much is when gay best friend Derek and Mary swoop into a beautiful ballroom dance because the, the mood just strikes them in the middle of her fabulous you know, out in the open closet. And Derek is talking about this hookup he had and how, you know, he's he's so obsessed with him and he wishes he would call him back. And and he says, like, he said he didn't understand me. Don't you see? He gets how deep I am. And Mary responds and says, well, you said his English isn't very good. Maybe he really just didn't understand you. And then they keep dancing. And that was when I lost my spouse to Mary because he likes fictional meaner women better than me i do not think he would uh like to live with a meaner version of me in real life (laughs) so i would say for queer representation obviously derek and his singular focus on his his hookup kind of paints derek as this person who you know how we we were like okay fast forward she's married to leo fast forward derek's not in her life right yeah because she's moved out of the party scene derek stays in the party scene Right. That's clearly like his world a lot more than it is hers. He's he's devastated. She sold her clothes. She didn't think twice about selling her clothes. Right. She's growing past Derek and past this whole kind of scene that she's been in. But I will say, I mean, that doesn't actually relate to overall queer representation. One thing I really want to point out is who is the very first face that we see when this movie opens? Lady Bunny. Lady Bunny. Lady Bunny. So this movie is very much rooted in that like New York club kid scene. And they just make that like overt from the first frames which I think yeah. is, is special. And uh, Venus felt like a very pointed name for a mid-90s film for a character who spends all her time dancing in clubs. Very much like voguing culture is part of this as well. Oh, yeah. I loved Venus. Did you guys love Venus? I loved <laughs> Venus. I loved Venus so much. And Venus's style was so impeccable. And if Leo and Mary weren't in game by the end of this movie, which, you know, okay, we can deal with that. I was so thrilled for Leo to be with Venus. But also, Sadie mentioned a line that made her laugh the hardest. And this the one that really got me is when Mary was bossing around this party she was throwing at the end of the movie. And Venus said something to her about a complaint or, you know, like something she needed. Get your cigarette out of my face. Yes. That's it. Get your cigarette out of my face. And she was like, Mary was like, like, get a last name and then get back to me on that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. Don't hold call out. <laughs> 
Venus was my only qualm about arguing for Leo for Mary, because I don't want to deprive Venus of someone. But then I also think that Venus and Leo work too much in the same world for their relationship to last. Yeah, they're great for now. They're probably having the best time in their early mid 20s. But like, you know, Venus goes on to, you know, spearhead an animal rights organization and like Leo cares. Like, and that's the other thing that I love about Leo is that scene where they're talking about animal rights and Leo's just kind of parroting. Like we see this often in movies where the guy's like, oh, I like her. I'm going to, I'm going to really pretend to be interested in stuff that she's into. But with Leo, he seems so sweet and he seems so sincere that like, I buy it. I 100% buy it. Sure, he didn't know that the bunnies were being blinded by mascara wands to begin with, but now that he knows, does he care? Absolutely, he cares. Leo's a great guy. He's a sweetheart. Oh, Sadie, here's a chance here to bring the himbo discourse into this podcast. <laughs> oh, no. I thought we were going to keep it free of himbos. I love himbos. Bring it on. <laughs> I am a himbo. That's what my that's what Hansel over here is a himbo. So bring it on. <laughs> Leo is a himbo and perhaps proof, I think, that himbos primarily exist in fictional universes and not in reality. <laughs> really? I I've dated so many of them. <laughs> Jennifer knows about the male stripper I dated. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. He was so sweet, but he was really too stupid to, you know, settle down with, you know. Yeah. I mean, just to be. (laughs) How did he survive? Poor thing. He survived on energy drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Muscle milk. Uh, <laughs> literally Sadie's gonna be so delighted he survived so, on gray market workout supplements and fucking energy drinks I love that <laughs> I, I he was a that. sweetheart Samantha contends that himbos are solely fictional like vampires <laughs> I semi agree but I say that himbos are just rare also like vampires in reality and Sadie says is it my Sadie. turn to speak <laughs> Okay, um, first of all, I think that just because himbos are more rare doesn't mean that they don't exist. I think that when you find a himbo, that makes it all the more sweet. (laughs) And I I told um, Jen and Samantha about a himbo that I knew of that I had encountered. He worked at a local natural food store, and he would always point out the freshest rotisserie chicken for me to take home. Oh my god, that's so poor. And that, that is the very essence of a himbo. I don't know what else to say. I I love them. And they're real, but they're rare. Yeah. It's like the Aurora Borealis. Like, the proportion of himbo discourse (laughs) to the number of actual himbos in the world, I think, is wildly out of whack, is all I'm saying. Uh, Yeah, I I identify as a himbo. Full on. Like, I'm a little That's bit. That's because you're a gym, I'm a gym rat, rat, which. I'm a little bit stupid. Himbo. I'm a little bit shallow. You know, I care about me. Yeah, I care about makeup. This costumes. is where I got to hit mm. you, though. You have a strong himbo slice of your brain, I would say. Maybe when you can turn it off in the gym, but you're too fucking smart to be a himbo. I think that's himbos the- can be smart. <laughs> they're smart in a way that's kind of ephemeral and flighty and flaky. And they can't, you can't nail them down. You know, like I bet editing me, I'm sorry, Samantha, is going to be a nightmare because I can't get to the point. The point is there, but can I get to it? Probably not because it's hard to cut through all that himbo jungle that's growing in my brain. All that muscle milk growing all those plants. (laughs) You do drink a lot of muscle milk. 
I will say that. <laughs> but I think that your brain spins entirely too fast to qualify as himbo. Yeah, himbos are like, it's tumbleweeds when you look in there. You do an x-ray and there's like a picture of a turkey leg, like <laughs> I guess I inside their skulls. You do have great traps, though. <laughs> I guess I believe in the myth of himbo growth, and that's what I see when I see Leo. I see a himbo on a growth trajectory because he is yeah. a strong man, and he cares so much about what he does. Like the fact that he has that nightmare about DJing and about not being able to drop the beat. Right? It sounds so shallow <laughs> on the surface, but when you really listen to what he's saying, he's so concerned about being good at what he does and not disappointing people. And then what actually happens in the movie is Leo's nightmare comes true. And we get to see Leo try something and fail. And how does he deal with the failure? He copes perfectly well, not just because Venus is there and she's the most amazing encapsulation of what a muse on earth actually is, but he just recovers from that bad moment and turns around and asks his crush out immediately or confesses a crush immediately. Like that's one hell of a guy, a guy who can fail to his worst literal nightmare and then recover and hit on a girl and do great at it. He's a fascinating himbo specimen. <laughs> Thank you for fulfilling the purpose of this podcast better than any of us have ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Think about it though. Think about it though. Do we ever see Mustafa fail? Do we see him try anything and fail? Oh, Mustafa would disappear if he failed. He couldn't fucking handle it. He starts out failing, right? Because the like gentrified falafel cart across the street is like vastly outselling him. Actually, that is the point. I I apologize, Lindsay, for comparing you to Mustafa. But I did at the beginning because when he is yelling about having toothpicks in the falafel, it resembles extremely anytime I have seen you say anything about gentrified Cajun cooking. (laughs) Yeah, I don't take it well. And I get real nasty when people come for my food, the food of my people. That's true. Oh, wow. I didn't realize I had Mustafa-like qualities. (laughs) One Mustafa-like quality. Maybe Mustafa could have some latent himbo within him if he just let it go, you know? (laughs) Lindsay, I think you have convinced me that Mary is a Virgo. What? I want to tell you why. Last minute reversal here. (laughs) Let's hear it. Wow. Because this podcast is chaotic. It is unstructured. We barely try to do the stated purpose of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And yet we have a lot of fun. This podcast is kind of a Mary. And you, as a Virgo, listening to all these episodes, saw the order in it, structured it on a bingo card, and showed it to us, much like Mary organizes Leo's records and shows them to him. So you've you've like categorized this podcast. If we stuck with your structure going forward, we could have like nine bullet points where we just meet and we're like, (laughs) now here's the queer representation, ninth of this podcast, second ninth of this podcast, uh, time travel reference, okay? Like we could do a decimal the shit out of this podcast if we wanted to. See, and the whole time I thought you already had. (laughs) (laughs) No. I really did because you guys, honestly, for real, the bingo card was the easiest thing I've ever done because you guys are like arrested development levels of callbacks. The callbacks. predictable. (laughs) 
we we just don't have a lot going on knocking around in our noggins it's just it's just trad wives and time travel and the bachelor up in there ping-ponging around just um some of us are just dolls with like pull strings on the back of them and you pull it and it says like one of five phrases and for me it's like this reminds me of the bachelor i'm gonna die soon horror movies like (laughs) and for sadie it's just leap here leap here leap here leap here oh now they're gonna fight yes Real fight encompasses all human emotion and everything that I'd ever need to know. So yes, that's fine. <laughs> I want you to start a cult with leap year as your source text. Bold to you, bold of you to assume I have not already. <laughs> right here in Mid Missouri, baby. <laughs> damn and then samantha and i will go to visit sadie and then we will have like a midsummer-esque cult murder event and then this is all going to come full circle with the horror comparisons and mortality (laughs) we're going to go to sadie's compound in ireland uh where where she she set up a leap year cult (laughs) oh my god there's gonna be some wicker man shit happening Oh, yeah. The bees. Oh, not that wicker man. Oh, now that's a fight between you and me, my friend. Well, oh, no, no, no. Obviously, I recognize the real wicker man. But if I get a chance to make a reference to the Nick Cage wicker man, I'm going to fucking do it. But instead of the bees, it'll be the beast. Oh, <laughs> oh no. I might have a bingo, y'all. I might have a bingo. Well, because we're talking about the bingo card. Does that count? No. Oh, does it? Oh, no. (laughs) We need to be unaware of the bingo card to make the bingo card really work. I feel like going meta, though, should be a bingo slot on your bingo card. It kind of was. Like, I I think the podcast goes horror was definitely, it's definitely getting meta because like really when you, when you pick apart any piece of media, there's, you scratch the surface and there's absolutely horror potential, you know, in anything. If you, if you think about anything too hard, there's horror potential. It's like the myth of Sisyphus, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of the myth of Sisyphus? <laughs> <laughs> oh, another thing from this movie that I would die if I did not point out. I've watched Party Girl a million, million times and I rewatched it again today and I noticed that there is an actual for reals syphilis, syphilis you know what I mean? Sisyphus in the movie. There is a guy in Parker Posey's building who carries the same huge cardboard box up the stairs multiple times. Wow. Oh my gosh. Do you die? I die. Oh my God. <laughs> this movie has layers. This movie is deep. Seriously, I have four pages of notes and I will say I organize my notes by chronology in the film and then I retyped them under character to prepare for this discussion. So I'm As I said for- in our intro, the most Virgo Virgo I have ever met in my life. I didn't want to screw up. Lindsay. I didn't want to screw this up like Mary would. I didn't want to fall flat on my face. But no, I'm amazed that Samantha came around to to the Virgo idea because honestly, you guys have swayed me on the Scorpio thing. I'm fully on board. We were ships crossing in the night. Yes, all of your points completely fan. And I had never thought about it because I guess I'm just obsessed with being a Virgo. I love being a Virgo. I love that you are a Virgo. Yeah. And that Samantha is a Capricorn and that Sadie is a Sagittarius. I love all of you. I love everyone. Even Sadie. Even. 
Sadie's Sagittarius energy is so leap year. They never stay in one place in leap year. They always move around like a Sagittarius. (laughs) They cross all of Ireland like a Sagittarius. That's it, Lindsay. That's it. The only time they even commit to something like kissing is when there is outside pressure upon them from weird old people (laughs) who yell about it. And the most important named character in the entire movie is a suitcase. Okay, okay, my children. I have to cut it off. I have to wrangle you in, my little sheep, and ask for the rating <laughs> of Party Girl. It's time. Oh, good point. Party Girl gets four simultaneously worn t-shirts out of five from me. Mustafa gets a falafel with no hot sauce from me. And Leo Leo gets a full long thumping club music set from me. This completes my rating. (laughs) I respect that. A global rating. <laughs> Jen? Mm, okay. I would say the movie Party Girl gets 4.75 non-shoplifted, entirely designer, clashing, perfectly outfits out of five from me. And I only subtracted the 0.25 because of the two F-word slurs near the end of the movie. That, I realized, in the recording of the Reality Bites podcast, I never called Reality Bites on the three R-words they used in the movie that did not age well yet. But I am going to judge Party Girl to that standard because it is such a good movie. So, 4.75, gloriously clashing designer outfits, strutting down the street, worn by Parker Posey. I, well, I'll go next and then we'll have Lindsay take us on out. I give Party Girl four Baba Ganoushes. Baba Ganoushes. <laughs> I don't know the plural of that. Out of five, I thought it was very... I thought it was very funny. I thought it was very sharp. It made me laugh out loud, which as someone who loves rom-coms, rom-coms rarely make me laugh out loud, but this one did. And I really liked it. And I give Leo five really, really overexpensive shampoos out of five. I thought it was very fun. (laughs) It was very fun. I loved the shower scene probably way more than I should have, probably way more than the filmmakers intended. And yeah, that's it. He uses shampoo too, which is unlike your nemesis, Ethan Hawke. That's my bonus. I give him six shampoo (laughs) bottles out of five. (laughs) All righty. Well, I guess uh, this this feels weird to do because this isn't my space, but I would rate Party Girl because it's an old, an oldie and a goodie. I rate it five Sisyphean boulders because, you know, it is, it's a joy to to push this movie up the hill time and time again. Every day. Push it up the hill. Oh, that's all I got. Oh, and Leo. Um, I guess I gotta rate Leo. And Mustafa, if you want. Mustafa, okay, I'm sorry. Mustafa's a three out of five. Mustafa is a Mr. Right now. He's not a Mr. Right. Leo is absolutely the 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 you know, he's the five out of five. He's the guy who you should have looked at twice, you didn't look at twice, but the fact that you don't get with him until later in life makes it all the more magical when you realize he was right there. He was in front of me the whole time, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's that magic man. He's a magic <laughs> himbo. He's a dream himbo. Five himbos out of five. Oh and pour God. a little muscle milk on top. It's good. It's all good. Fuck you! <laughs>
Nachos! Fuck! Bread! Fuck! The Declaration of Independence. Fuck! Terror Terminator! You!